Psalm 23 is a song, and it's written by a person who was in a dark place, I think. Often we hear Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, usually, it seems like the only time I ever hear it read is at a funeral. This is a person who is not at a funeral, but going through or having gone through a dark place. And one of the things that I've noticed, and you probably have too, is that some of the most beautiful art, music, all expressions of art, visual art, musical art, uh, the written word, some of the most beautiful art comes out of the darkest places. And I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, the man was talking about dark places in, and his challenge or his charge or his hope to the listener was that darkness is where the, the light of the gospel and the light of the Lord has the best opportunity to be illuminated the most beautifully. So if you are in a dark place, that's the, that's the truth. And some of you could testify to that. So this is a songwriter. This is a psalm of David. And I'm going to read it from the King James Version because that's how I learned it. And if you know it, say it with me. Or if you don't, let's do it together. Ready? Let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. About a month ago, I had a dream. Do you remember your dreams? Who, I don't usually do this, but raise your hand if you have a lot of dreams and you remember them. I'm fascinated by dreams, okay? I think, I think dreams are, are when our brains tell us stories that we might not listen to during the day. So about a month ago, I had this dream, and some of them are pretty, pretty goofy, but uh, I was on a very large elevator. It was like a car- cargo elevator. It was, it was really wide, and there were other people in there, but I don't know who they were. I, don't, I didn't recognize or even look at them. And the, and the doors opened, and the entire nine members of the U.S. Supreme Court justice walked into the elevator. Are there nine? Is that right? And they, I just knew it was them. And I, I said... In the dream, ladies and gentlemen, the Supremes. That's a joke about a band. There were Gladys Knight and the Supremes. No, is that right? Diana Ross and the Supremes. Thank you. I said, ladies and gentlemen, the Supremes. And I, I was proud of myself that in my dream, I could be so witty and keep my composure in the presence of the Supreme Court. And then I noticed something about them. They were all very tall. 
like they were way, way up there. They were like giants. I was looking up at them. And I woke up from my dream and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then I remembered that I've had other dreams. I have, I have kind of, maybe you have recurring dreams. I have these, these kind of, this kind of recurring dream that I meet important people. And they're always like giants. And, I'm, and they're always way towering over me like giants. And I was thinking, what, what is this about? And I came to the, the, this interpretation that what is going on in, that, in this recurring dream is this message being sent to me by, by the adversary or by, by myself. You're not up for this, buddy. You're playing with the big boys now. You don't have what it takes. And so I, I said to God, God, I'm not enough. And God said to me, uh, yeah, because God answers me in Maine colloquially, colloquialisms. If you ever know anything about Maine, they don't say, yeah, they say, uh, yeah. Well, God always says, uh, yeah, to me. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding. But the message from the Holy Spirit was, yeah, so? You're enough, you're not enough. You're my kid. Does it matter? I'm with you. I want to say some things about anxiety and fear that have been true for me. And I'm going to quickly, pretty quickly go through your outline. So if, you, if you're one who, who fills those in, turn that over. And these are things that, have, that I, I have identified as, as true for me when I'm dealing with fear and anxiety. And perhaps they're true for you, too. And you just listen to me talk to myself. And if it applies, terrific. Number one. Wait a minute. Before I do this, I want to tell you one other thing. Uh, I have someone that I love very much. I won't say who it is, but someone I love very much. He lives in another state. And last year he started experiencing, well, not last year, but he told me about panic attacks that he has. And he said, when I have a panic, and he, he had a pretty big change in his life recently, and all change is loss, and brings uncertainty. And he, he was having these, he said, when I have a panic attack, I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but I believe I am going to die. I don't, I'm not like, I might die. It's like I am dying. He, he went to a medical doctor after, after one of his panic attacks, and the MD asked him a bunch of questions and identified some things and that, that were true. And then he said, you know, uh, I'm a medical doctor, but recently in the last years, I have felt more like a counselor or a therapist. I feel like half my time has not been treating the physical things or diagnosing them and treating them, but dealing with this, this anxiety and, and panic that exists in our culture. And it makes me feel so bad, you know, when someone you love feels that way. I have experienced anxiety this last year, just with the campaign and the, and the challenges and feeling like it's a gi- these are giants and I'm not ready to play with the big boys. I'm not enough. And these are some of the things that, that I say about myself 
First, I'm not myself when I'm afraid. I'm not myself when I'm afraid. My brain doesn't work right. I get paralyzed. And the harder I try, the worse it gets, and I can't find peace. And if I can only find peace... And have you, have you seen that, that commercial for Snickers where, where there's always a character and they're acting re- really poorly and then they say, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Have you seen that one? It's like in this psalm, the songwriter is saying, when I'm facing the biggest thing, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my, enem- my enemy. That thing, that giant, that, I'm, that thing that says to you, uh, you're not enough. You're not up for this. And, and it's like the, the father says, let's just eat. Just, you're not yourself when you're hungry. I'm with you. Here, this roast beef is delicious. I love that. Sometimes when we're most anxious, what we need is that, a table and a friend. Secondly, when I am anxious or afraid, I tell myself stories. You know? Sometimes it's through dreams. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night and you wake up and it's the longest night of the year and you start thinking of, I start thinking of everything that could possibly go wrong and everything. And, I, and the older I get, I thought the older I get, the less I would be afraid, but it seems like the older I get, the more, I, I, the more there is to be afraid of because you've seen more, you, you've experienced more. And... I, I am anxious or afraid, and I tell myself stories, stories about me, stories that I'm not enough, that I'm not up to it. I've also had this recurring dream all my life that I'm back in high school, or, and I forgot to go to class, and there's a test, <clears throat> and I don't even know where the classroom is, and I don't, I don't have any shoes on either. Or dreams about it's Sunday morning, and I'm supposed to preach, and I forgot, and I'm sitting there. And praying to God for his Holy Spirit to inspire me. Or a dream that I'm in some sort. Have you had this dream where you're in some sort of trouble and you can't run? And then sometimes I run backwards in my dreams because I can move a little more quickly in my dreams backwards. Or I need to make a phone call. You know this one? And you can't dial the number. You just keep dialing the wrong number. I can't do it. I'm not enough. This is the story we tell ourselves. Tell ourselves stories about God. Stories about God. A couple weeks ago, Jeff Lucas, I was so glad I was here two weeks ago when he talked. Do you remember if you were here when he was talking about prayer and how God, we think that God has a prayometer in heaven? And I'm just going to, I'm just going to basically quote what Jeff said because it was beautiful. It was just brilliant. And it's like God is, is talking to the angel and the, and, the, and the angel comes up to him and God says, hey, how many people are praying for Brad? Anybody here named Brad? How many people are praying for Brad? And, and the angel says, well, the, the prayometer says uh, uh, 597, but two just fell asleep. And God says, great, let me know when, when it gets to 500 or 600. I want to do something for that guy. Like we tell ourselves stories that, that there's, there's something, some critical mass of prayer or some critical mass of, of goodness or some way to move the Father, you know? We tell ourselves these stories. If we could just be impressive, impress God enough, then maybe, maybe. Next line, these stories must be cross-examined. These stories we tell ourselves must be cross-examined. I have a friend who knows a lot about anxiety. 
I've talked to him quite a bit about it, and he told me this, that the stories we tell ourselves, stories of fear and inadequacy and everything that could go wrong, that they must be put on the stand. They must be put on trial. That we must interrogate them. That we must treat them as hostile witnesses, as a good lawyer, with the help of the Holy Spirit or with the help of friends. That, that we must identify that these stories are not true. That we are the beloved. That we're enough and we're not enough, but it doesn't matter because he's with us. That there are people who love us. And did you know that like 108% of we, what we worry about doesn't come true? Did you know that scientifically? These stories must be cross-examined by the good words and the good news of Jesus. My peace is with you. My spirit is with you. I am with you. Now a question. Do I really believe in this stuff? (laughs) You idiot. How come you always call me an idiot when I'm speaking? That was just a little weird thing I do where I I speak for you to me this is a big question and you probably maybe maybe you think this is an inappropriate question of course of course we believe but in the dark nights of the soul in the in those periods of time when everything is too hard and the promises don't seem to be true and we're not feeling it Do I really believe in this stuff? Jesus promised us peace in trouble. But do we experience that? That no matter what God does or doesn't do, that he sees us, that he knows us, that even if we suffer, even if people we love suffer or leave or die, do we believe that the Father is who Jesus said he is? And this this past year, I think one of the things that I'm I'm trying to learn and I feel like I'm being taught by the Spirit, is just practice it, Darren. Your mind sometimes will go all kinds of places, but practice the things I told you. Agree in my name before the Father. Pray for my peace. Be still. He is a good Father. And no matter what, He gets the last word. And even if the worst happens here, We will be well. Is it well with our souls? Do I believe that? Now, finally, with the remainder of our time, we're all done writing. Isn't that great? You're already done writing. You could leave. But no, you should not leave. Um, A few weeks ago, my wife, Melody, sent me a blog post by a, a young, fairly young lady. They're all getting young to me. Uh... A mom named Angie. Some of you know her. Angie is a mom of four kids, four girls. She's a daughter, sister, wife, and a child of the king. And they have been missionaries for years. They've done lots of good work. Lots of sacrifice. She's also suffered with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and now cancer in her spine. 
I read the blog post that my wife sent me, and it made me cry, and it made me laugh. And it was beautiful art coming from a dark place. And I thought, at the time, I thought, I want everyone in the world to hear this. So I'm just doing my part. She's facing a giant. It's not the Supreme Court justice in a dream. It's not a $50,000 campaign. It's life. So I'm reading it to everyone and anyone whenever I get the chance. So with Angie's permission, I read it to you. With the lesion in my L5 vertebra, metastatic cancer, the approach, the treatment, will need to be more intense. This means that I will have five sessions of very focused radiation, also known as CyberKnife, to the tumor site, starting in two weeks and finishing just before Christmas Eve. There will be minimal side effects, less fatigue, skin irritation than in previous treatments. And the doctor is hopeful that the cancer can be blasted into oblivion. I just smiled when he said that. I had the CT scan and mapping procedure done before we even left the cancer center, and the radiation technicians were kind and wonderful. We left confident that this is where we're supposed to be right now. And honestly... We're really thankful for those reminders because some days the thoughts of what in the world have we done creep into our minds. Overall, we're feeling very encouraged that we've made the right decision and are confident that good will come from all of this. We're not putting our hope or trust in my medical treatment, but we're putting our hope and trust in a God who is always with us. He is good, and we know that whatever we face, whether good or bad, that he will never leave us. It may sound strange, but my physical healing isn't our priority. Yes, my medical treatment is important, but it's not more important than what God is doing in us. I know that many of you have been convinced that I will be healed. And even though I love you dearly, I really don't understand that thinking, and I haven't really known how to put that into words. Last weekend, as I was processing through some of the comments that have been made to us, I suddenly had one of those convergence moments when words and images start flooding together in simultaneous chaos and clarity. I was listening to a song called It Is Well. The words were, far be it from me not to believe even when my eyes can't see. And this mountain that's in front of me will be tossed into the midst of the sea. And I started to imagine what the mountain in my life was. And can I just tell you that it wasn't cancer? Then I pictured a clip from Miracle on 34th Street when a little girl who can't hear goes to sit on Santa's lap. I haven't seen the movie in several years, but in that instant I could imagine the scene so clearly. Her sweet little contented face looking at Santa and her mom saying, She's deaf. You don't have to say anything to her. She just wanted to see you. And he goes on to give her the most delighted smile and starts speaking to her in sign language. And at the same time, the words of Psalm 131 came to mind. I have calmed my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I think you have to have breastfed a baby to understand how they can attack you when they're hungry. 
as if their next meal depends purely on their effort. And all of a sudden it just clicked. That weaned child on its mother's lap, that little girl sitting with Santa, that's me. God is not going to deliver me from cancer because I have young children and a husband who need me. He is not going to heal me because I've had hundreds of people praying for me. He is not going to heal me because I love him or because I have served him as an overseas missionary or because I have cared for the poor or because I have endured enough hardship already. Have you read anything from Johnny Erickson Tata or Kara Tippett or Amy Carmichael? Have you read the Bible or Voice of the Martyrs or anything written by anyone who has desperately loved God and also suffered? So when I hear people say, that they just know that God's desire is for me to be healed from cancer. I can't help but think that their understanding of God is a little bit narrow-minded. Yes, I believe that God loves me. Yes, I believe that God created a world that was complete and good. Yes, I believe that the world is not like that anymore. Yes, I believe that God hears our cries over the brokenness. Yes, I believe that God can do anything, including replacing our hearts of stone with real-life ones that beat in tune with His. Yes, I believe that one day all things will be restored and redeemed. No, I don't think that means that I'm not going to die from cancer. No, I don't believe that my statements here are going to cause God to turn His back on me. No, it doesn't matter If he heals me or doesn't heal me, I will still follow him. A few weeks ago, I was on a bit of a rampage. I had been told by someone that they didn't believe that this cancer journey would end in death for me. They meant that I would be delivered from cancer and would live a long life. I was ticked. It's not that they won't be right. I really have no idea how this will end up, but I was still ticked. We were sitting at the table eating breakfast in our home in Cambodia and I started going around the table. I have news for all of you, I said, pointing around the table. The Bible says that from dust we were created and to dust we will return. If we're talking about this mortal life, I am going to die. I pointed to Lauren and said, you're going to die. And Brenna, you're going to die. Can you imagine their raised eyebrows and shifty glances at each other as I made my way around the table? Then Addie chimed in, I'm going to die. And Megan raised her hand excitedly and jumped in her seat saying, Oh, ooh, me too, I'm going to die. It was hilarious and profound. Here's the fact of the matter. You and I are going to die. We will breathe our last And our souls will be released from our frail bodies. And I think we need to come to terms with the notion that we seem to have a couple of meanings of the word death. One definition links death to our last breath here on earth. Another definition of death represents destruction and chaos. And in my opinion, fear. You and I have no idea when I'm going to die. Can we be honest about that? It might be sooner than we want, but it might not be for a long time. But I am confident that chaos, destruction, and fear will not have the last word. I still have twinges of fear, and the desire to grasp for control still creeps in at times. 
I've made my lament to God, and I may have more laments to come, but my soul is content like a weaned child. Like the sweet little girl on Santa's lap who doesn't ask to be made undeaf for Christmas. She just wants to see him. And since he asked, she would love a doll and a bear. My battle is against something a lot bigger than cancer. The enemy of fear threatens to undo everything that God has been teaching me through this journey. This is my fight song. Thank you.